Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And the trial of Derek Chauvin continues in a second. We're going to bring in a legal expert, Ellie Mistal, to further break it down. But Danielle, I feel more optimistic. I think we're two different sides of this coin. I feel more optimistic that he will be convicted because... In the past week, we've seen several police officers from his own department, mm-hmm. including the chief of police in his own department, come in and say he was wrong, he used force incorrectly, the things he was doing here were not within our policy. You never see police officers coming in and testifying against an officer. There's all sorts of policing culture issues that go against that ever happening. So the the idea of jurors, to me, the idea of jurors lining up on his side to save him from a life in prison seems hard to see when his own former police department is like, no, he fucked up, and we are not supporting this motherfucker. I mean, the reality is, is that we are looking at this from, I believe, an emotional lens. And what the jury is going to be instructed to do is look at it from a technical lens. This is why, even regardless of how flimsy I find the defense's case, they are talking about the drugs in George Floyd's system, whether or not that could have contributed to his death. They are talking about the position. Well, was his knee really on his neck or was it on his was it on his back shoulder blade? Right. Like they are using these obscure things because what they're going to try and do and what I think that they are working to do is confuse the jury. Right. And say, well, you can't convict him of murder two or of murder three if these technicalities don't match up. But I think that the reality is, is that the parade of uniforms that we have seen from the EMT workers through the uh, police officers that we've seen, through the chief of police that fired Derek Chauvin. I think that what we are going to see is a, is a 
policing system, at least as it pertains to Minneapolis, that is trying to reclaim the narrative that this bad egg, this person is not what we stand for, not who we stand for and not what we want to be known as going down in history. Like this is this guy. And I think that that's why we're seeing so many uniformed people come out. And frankly, it's just fucking disgusting. Right. The so video are is you despicable. starting to think that he's going to be convicted. Or are you still uh, pessimistic? Let me tell you something about me and Hope. We don't, we don't know We're each other. We're not friends right now. <laughs> We're not. We don't. We, I don't know her. Do you ever right? blocked on so Instagram? I will wait. <laughs> I will wait until, you know, the gavel comes down until the jury says, oh, have you reached a verdict? Yes, I have. And then I will say, oh, great. Wonderful. But America always has a way of fucking black people over when we start to get a little mustard seed of hope. Ellie Mistal, the justice correspondent at The Nation, one of the finest legal minds I know. You've been watching the trial, getting re-traumatized like most black people. Um, Let's just can can you give us a score? Like at this point, do you think we're headed toward a conviction or an acquittal? I'm with Danielle. There's always the presumption that the cop is going to take a walk. Um, um, that's just because of the society we live in. Uh, I don't. I haven't seen anything at the trial that suggests that he should. I mean, like if you were, if you were scoring the case so far, and granted, it's only the prosecution side, um, but the prosecution has done everything right. There's there's been no screw up. There's been no um, no surprises. It's a straightforward look at this video. That looks like murder to me. Okay, here's all these other people, including, as you point out, people from his own police department who says, looks like that's murder to them, you know, case closed. Like, so the prosecution is doing fine. The defense is doing exactly what you expected the defense to do. Um, He should go to prison. Um, That doesn't mean he will. And, you know, there have been lots of cops that should go to prison that don't go to prison. And I haven't seen, I guess that's the other part of it. Like, I haven't seen any scripts from the prosecution. I haven't seen anything that tells me that this time it's going to be different. Um, I haven't seen anything that says this time it's going to be different. I, I guess that's not true. That, are you, that, that's, are you that's, seeing that's the, the, well, what the, is the defense? The police chief was different. The def- yes. That, yes. That, that, that the we, police we, chief was different. And we talked about that, like seeing police officers and the chief himself come out against the officer. That's, that's, that's different. That's problematic for Derek Chauvin. That's hard to defend, right? You would think that that would mean a lot to jurors. Well, you know, and I've, I've written about this, but the, it's it kind of goes to two different theories of why cops get off in the first place, right? So my theory for why cops get off in the first place is that this is an inveterately racist country. And if you roll the dice with 12 people off the street, you're going to find one racist. Right, you just you're just gonna find one racist. The defense is trained to find one racist. It only takes one racist to hang that jury. So that's my theory of why cops get off. But the other theory, the kind of more acceptable legal, you know, strategy theory, is that the reason why cops get off is because people love the cops. People trust the cops. People are you know incl- prone and inclined to believe the cops. So that. In this situation, if that theory is true, in this situation where you have a cop, and really not just the chief, multiple cops speaking out and testifying against Chauvin, well, if you love the cops, are you going to love the ones that are telling you that this guy was wrong? So that that's the other that's the other theory here. And if that theory is correct, if it's if people let cops walk because they love cops, well, then cops saying don't love this cop really should be enough. So I wonder 
if you see anything that the defense is doing that is that makes you say, hmm, they that, that they did that well. And the first thing that I saw that made me say, like, oh, 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 um, today they were talking about the concept of awful but legal, right? And like mm-hmm. cops sometimes do things that that seem awful but are legal. And I was like, ooh, like that whole notion is something that a juror. Uh, racist or not, could hang their hat on and justify like, well, we have like, yeah, yeah. Granted, it's awful, but like, that's what cops do to restrain somebody. This show is part of the Pro Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming, and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent Us, a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting. And they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. Well, two things. One, I, I, I would push back on the racist or not, because there are lots of awful things that are done to white people that always end up in conviction, right? The, the whole concept of awful but legal is something that kind of exclusively works against black people, that you can treat black people awfully but legally. That, that concept doesn't work if you put, you know, a white woman's face um, as the victim, right? It just, it just doesn't, right? Um, this, the second thing is that the, the concept of awful but legal really goes to, and this is what I'm writing about today, actually, um, it really goes to this fundamental legal justification for murder. Um, and the Supreme Court case is called Graham v. Connor. If you watch the trial, you've heard them say Graham v. Connor maybe 15 times just today. I mean, it sounds like a man named Graham Connor is going to show up on the witness stand, right? It's actually a Supreme Court case um, that was came down in 1989 that completely changed the use of force um, structure for police officers. Before Graham v. Connor, the standard used to be a, a reasonable man standard, right? So, like, an officer couldn't brutalize you beyond what a reasonable citizen would expect. There was some intent in there, some other complications, but basically it was just what a reasonable citizen would expect. Graham v. Connor changed that standard to a reasonable police officer. And that does a lot of work because now if I'm a cop, I don't have to prove that you or I would have killed the guy like this. I have to just say that any other cop in my situation would have killed the guy like this, right? And that's what this, that's where this kind of legal but awful but legal concept comes from. That's why they're pushing that. Because what the jury instruction is going to be at the end of this trial, remember, all this is going to, we're going to have arguments, we're going to have our closings, and the judge will say, will instruct the jury about what the law is. And what the judge will tell the jury is that if you believe that Derek Chauvin acted reasonably as another cop would have in that situation, you must acquit. 
you must acquit. And, and that's what they're going for, this concept that other cops would choke the life out of a black man. Why? Because black men are super are superheroes, because they have super strength. I mean, if you look, if you look at all of the arguments from yesterday, they were all arguing, you know, they had this jujitsu expert yesterday, right? And the cross-examination on the expert was all about how black people under duress can develop super strength. It's called um, delirium, uh, excited delirium. I mean, literally super strength. Literally, at one point, they literally asked the guy, is it possible for a person who is unconscious to regain consciousness and wake up with super strength? And the jiu-jitsu guy was like, I, I, I guess. Because th that's what they're going for. Like, but that, I mean, you know, the, the reality of that, I mean, the, all of those things are true. And it just goes back to the stereotypes right, that then create policy, that then create law, right? And that's, and that's how we get entrapped uh, as Black people, because even the question to the police chief about, you know, well, can a person in handcuffs still pose a threat? That's what the defense mm -hmm. asked, right? Can a person, and he's like, uh-huh, they can, but not one that's in the fucking prone position, right. face down, right, with multiple people pressuring different parts of his body. So if you're talking about, oh, in a regular situation, well, handcuffs, can you still kick? Can you still spit? Can you still do those things? Of course. But even the presumption in the defense's questioning to me was just like, well, black, this black man is big and he, you know, he must be powerful. Can he break the chains like the fucking Hulk and then eat all of the people, you know, in his vicinity? They, they, and so did, I, I'm wondering, Ellie, Daniel, like the, they asked the man, sorry, the, 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 they asked the yeah. man, they asked no, the man, ahead. is it, is it, is it true that you couldn't, that it wouldn't have been hard to give Floyd medical attention because he was too strong to turn over on his back? Too strong. When the man was unconscious. Was he too fat and black to be turned over on his back to receive CPR? And again, all the all the medical examiner just said was like, I, I, is it possible? Well, I mean, sure, it's possible. It's possible that aliens are listening to us right now. It's possible, right? Like that's that's where we are. Right. That, but but that that to me is just that is you know, and let me use a legal term: the pure fuckery <laughs> of our justice system. Because anytime that I listen, like it, it's so triggering. It's triggering to hear, and I asked this um, of, a, of a, one of my other legal friends today, um, was, you know, you, you look at this case, right? And to me, it triggers Trayvon Martin, right? When instead of George Zimmerman being on trial, Trayvon Martin's character and his fucking Instagram and his Twitter and his Facebook was on trial, right? Um, and, in, and I asked this question, I'll just ask it of you for this audience, Ellie, is, you know, we are bringing in George Floyd's drug use. We brought in his girlfriend's drug use. They asked for the drug dealer to be unveiled in court as if then the drug dealer should be on trial or can be subject to being on trial for third degree murder because of the fact that they gave drugs to George Floyd that then he ingested in his system. Why the fuck do we allow things like that to continue we allow that course of questioning and that to be admissible. But Derek Chauvin's pattern of behavior, right, and his work over the past several decades as a police officer, yeah, not because the judge is white. I mean, remember, uh, the, the, the okay. judge, Peter Cahill, in this case, <laughs> um, he could have excluded all of that testimony. He could have allowed, he has a lot of power in that courtroom. 
and he's chosen it to use it in this way. And and most legal commentators would say that this is a pretty standard. These are the pretty standard actions of a judge in this situation. You let the defense um, tar the tar the the victim who's not in the courtroom, but you don't let the prosecution bring in what's called prior bad acts of the accused. Um, Unless of course the accused is black, in which case we find different ways to bring in their prior bad acts. Like we, like in, like it, it's that's the thing. It would be one thing if this is the way it worked all the time, regardless of the race or profession of the defendant, right? But it, that, it's not the way it works all the time, regardless. This, of, this doesn't of make the race any sense. George Floyd's just just as a way of running a system. George Floyd's past is not uh, exculpatory to why Derek Chauvin did or did not murder him. And like, I would like to know, Derek Chauvin, did you know of George Floyd's criminal record? I think that maybe he knew, maybe he did not. That doesn't mean you get to murder him in the street, but I would suspect he probably did not know that George Floyd did time years and years ago. Um, And that uh, Derek Chauvin's record of what he did to a 14-year-old girl three years ago what he did to another person six years ago. Like this is directly goes to the way that he does his job. This is exactly relevant. So, I mean, I understand. And of course we are with you in terms of the racism of all this, but can you just speak to like why the system would be constructed that you are accused of doing X and we cannot talk about whether or not you did X in the past, but you dead man, we're going to talk about, who you were as a person 10 years ago. I mean, you're asking for if there's any objectively decent reason for that to be the case, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is there any objectively reasonable reason why we would not admit a white police officer's pattern of conduct on <laughs> ex- the job versus on the a job. black man's <laughs> right. drug use. Well, the, 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 the benign reason, the, the arguably decent reason that we ex- generally exclude prior bad acts is because it, ha- it has been determined to have basically an outsized effect on the jury about whether or not the person committed the crime in front of them. Right. Is this so, and just can, for police officers or for any? Defendant? No, this is this is this is this should be for everybody. Right. The the, the standard should apply to any defendant. Right. That if you're trying and you can understand why. Right. Like if you're accusing me of robbing a bank. From The New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change. 
a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. All right. The fact that I stole a pack of baseball cards when I was 15, I didn't, by the way. Well, well, but the fact that I stole a, a pack of, yeah, the fact that uh, hypothetical me um, stole a pack of baseball cards when they were 15 shouldn't really have a lot to do with whether or not I robbed, you know, city, city. That, fields, that you've right? robbed like that, three, well, that you've robbed three banks in the past does not matter to whether or not we decide whether or not you robbed this bank. The system must have enough evidence to say, did you rob this bank? So, I mean, exactly. in, a, in a way, it's kind of just, it's kind of like what we would hope for. No, no, it is not. And that this is this is the question that I want to ask Ellie, because no, I don't believe that it is. Because I have, I have felt, and Ellie, you tell me with your legal acumen, that making George Floyd's prior drug use admissible in court, to me, is equivalent to Asking a woman sure. what she was wearing Absolutely. on the night that she was raped, which we no longer allow to be admissible in court because what she was wearing does not dictate the fucking behavior of the person right. who attacked her. And so in for me, in the same vein, it's like, why? Why was this not a fight by the prosecution to say, no, 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 we're not going to admit because you would not have known from that meeting at the at the at the store, at the convenience store, whether or not. George Floyd was on drugs. He wasn't in there waving a gun. He was posing no threat. And so why was that admissible? Those are the, that's the correlation that I, that I want you to help okay, us. So there are two different things going on here. There are prior bad acts of the defendant, which I can argue should not be admissible, even though if you're a black defendant, they usually find a way to get it in there. Danielle, what you're talking about is prior bad acts of the victim, which I would argue should never be admissible. And I think that as Mm -hmm. our society has evolved, we've gone Mm -hmm. further and further towards making that never admissible for any victim. The prior bad acts of the victim really shouldn't have anything to do with anybody's trial. The defense was able to get them in here because their theory of the case was that Derek Chauvin didn't kill George Floyd, drug use killed George Floyd. And so if you're arguing that he was too high to live, which is basically what they're doing, then that's how they were able to argue that his prior drug use um, was admissible. Now, again, if I'm the judge, I say, get the fuck out of my courtroom with that shit, right? Like, I, I, I say no, but I'm African-American. Um, white judge hears that and just like, well, you know, if he was a big druggie, then maybe that is why he died. So, like, you, the, it's, that, was, that was a judgment call on behalf of the white judge, Peter Cahill, and I believe he he judged poorly. On there was an one, extraordinary- and that's why that information was in. There was an extraordinary moment today yeah. where uh, the defense was playing a tiny snippet of the tape for a uh, use of force expert. And he said, can you understand what George Floyd said at this moment? And the man said, no. And I'm at home going, no, I, I, I couldn't make out what he said. And he played it again. 
And the man said, no. And I'm like, no, I'm sure lots of Americans are going, I don't know what words were said in that moment. And then the defense attorney goes, do you think he said I ate too many drugs? Yep. <laughs> Which yep. is hysterical, although it's horrible. And and the proceeding con- continued. To me, I was like, wait a minute. Is this, I mean, I've watched a lot of L.A. law, right? So I So I basically have a law degree. Is this not the moment where the the prosecution should jump up and say, wait, what are you talking about? You're basically putting words in the mouth of the witness that he doesn't even believe. You can't just like throw stuff out there like that. You don't object to that particular piece of bullshit. And I agree it was total bullshit. You don't object to that because it kind of highlights it, right? Because then it, because then you have to get into the discussion of, well, maybe he did say, why are you afraid of him saying, like, you just have to be like, all right, well, that is clearly stupid. And we're going to hope that the jury understands how stupid that was. But if you object, you run the risk of reinforcing the bad point that the defense is trying to sneak in there. So that's strategically, that's why they didn't object. Morally, it's fucking ridiculous. And, and, and you see this, you know, you see this kind of thing a lot where, where the, how to put it? The, the 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 there's a show aspect to this trial to every trial sure um and when you have a high profile one like this part of that show isn't even for the juries it's for the media back at home people you know people like us why watching. it's it's not even for the courtroom right because you're also trying but if to, the jury is sequestered why are you making a show for the media because you're trying to win in the court of public opinion as well because while the jury is sequestered, you know who ain't? The judge. And there, are, and as we already saw with the drug testimony, there is so much discretion that a judge has. The judge Cahill is going home and watching his clips probably, right? So like, if you can generate kind of public media pressure on this evidence needs to be in or that evidence doesn't need to be in or blah, 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 you can have influence on the judge and the judges who gets to decide what gets in or out of the courtroom, right? So there's a there's a there's a shadow war going for the heart and mind of the judge that is almost even separated from the heart and minds of the of the jurors. Which again, I argue, their hearts and minds likely have already been baked in from when they were seated. So that that's part of what's going on here. But it's it's all very, you know, I I don't want to miss the fact that this is all terrible and unnecessary. Um, we, 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 we don't yes. have to have a system like this. We don't, we didn't have to have a trial here. This man was caught on tape murdering somebody. 99% of the people who are caught on tape murdering people take plea deals, right? The only reason why Chauvin decided to take this to trial is because he is so competent that his whiteness and his copness will get him well, off. Wait a minute. Hold on. Well, one second. One second. Ellie, I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. Chauvin's team offered a deal in which they yeah. said we'll do ten years, and the uh, and 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 the prosecutors, yeah, and the, Bill Barr's said Bill Barr's uh, said Department no, of Justice said no. no. Well, they so did take the deal. Be, they that that the prosecution's like no, we want this trial. We're not going because we 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 expect that we're going to get life. It seems like the prosecution is confident we can get life out of this. You murdered somebody. And the defense is like, well, shit. Well, well, I mean, like if they're offering 10 years, they're like, shit, we we're like, I mean, like that's, 
that's a hell of a lot of time to offer up for a man who's gr- a grown ass man. He would be an old man when he comes out. The the prosecution didn't want this trial, and I can I can here I, here I can prove it because they're the ones to they're the ones who offered murder three. Right, and initially he was just charged with murder two, and then after the jury said it was set, the prosecution went, oh maybe we need to re-enter the murder three charge here just in case, right? Just that, that lesser included charge, just in case, which would only get them back 10 to 15 years. So I, I believe that the reason why they didn't take that deal has everything to do with politic, political public perception at the time that deal was offered and not anything to do with not really a, what's, uh, not a strategic decision about what was most likely to happen. Because as soon as they got into yeah, the I- trial phase, they started trying to include lesser included offenses in the charging documents. I mean, I think that the reality here is that we we want to believe that there is going to be a conviction, that the prosecution is doing a CYA where they're like, well, murder two will get you 40, but at least murder three, if they if the jury really is instructed um, and is basing this on a technicality of where the knee was positioned and they buy the bullshit with regard to the drug use, right? But then, okay, then we can look at murder three, which will still get you 15 to 20. The thing that I want to say here, though, with regard to the judge and and outside public pressure is that I want to know if you think, because I, I have said this and I and I wrote this last week, I believe that this this is this trial is not just about Derek right. Chauvin, right? Like we know that to be true. This trial is about America. This trial is about our policing system in general. This trial is about police being able to do whatever the fuck they want whenever they want and having to pay no accountability and responsibility because of that blue because of that shield that they wear. Do you think that this judge understands the gravity of this case and what would happen? Right. What would happen? Not a lesser charge, but if he's let off completely, the mayhem. Right. Pandora's box is already open. And I think that America is a powder keg. Do you think that that gravity is being taken into consideration and not just the the legalese in which we are maneuvering around this nope. murderer? No, nope. I think the judge is in straight CYA mode. He's just trying to he just doesn't want to look bad. I mean, there's 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 a Lance Ito during O.J., vibe that I'm getting for him. Like he, he, he just don't want to look bad. He don't want this to be on his head. Whatever happens, he doesn't want to be responsible for it. He's trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to not get blamed one way or the other. And in fairness, I see that a lot in the prosecution. I see that a lot in defense. I see a lot of everybody in that courtroom trying. It's, it's almost like you can see the marionette strings, right? Like everybody is just trying to play their role, do their part and hope that they are not the ones responsible for whatever riot violence whatever um happens regardless of how this case comes out like that they they just want they want to have careers after the Derek Chauvin trial but shouldn't um, sh- should not a should should not a trial especially a big trial be decided outside of the court of public opinion shouldn't we not make these sort of decisions based on well, if you do X, then the country will riot. The country will be very upset. I, I, I find that, uh, that notion very uncomfortable, and it has gone against Black people many times throughout throughout history. Mm-hmm. We should decide based on the evidence, and even if it leads to the country being very upset, what is the evidence that the state can put up? 
If they can put up enough evidence, then great. Put them away. If they can't, then let them go. And I, I'm much more comfortable living in that world than a world where if the country thinks that Torre is guilty because of the six things that they've heard and not the 20 pieces of actual evidence, then they're very upset like that. That I, I don't want I don't I don't think that's a good world. Who Torre is the we? That that's what I always come back down to. If you were telling me that we, a representative cross section of America, got to decide based on the evidence presented at trial and only that evidence, I could live in that world. But that is not a jury that represents a, rep, a representative cross section of America. That's a jury that's been hand selected for ignorance. Well, we and, have four and, black people on this one, jury, right? Mm. Yes, who also have been hand selected for ignorance. All right. Because literally one of the things that you could not have done to get on that jury is being a is being, a, being protest. a protest. Well, know <laughs> anything like, about this trial. Was being a protest. Or no or the or, situation. No. Isn't that a nor isn't that a normal you, stipulation you that you don't know anything about the case to be on a jury? But why is that normal? And, one that it went and, viral. A, why is that normal? And B, saying I need to not know anything about the alleged bank fraud committed by Goldman Sachs in the case of Bol Goldman Sachs v. Bank of America is one thing. Saying that I have to know nothing about a summer of protests during a pandemic over the death of a particular black man, that that's a different level of, of, of ignorance, right? That that requires a different level of myopically not watching the news and not yep. being aware of my own community as it's happening. And that is what this jury has been hand selected to do. So like you can argue, you can argue that yes, in general, we want people who don't have preconceived ideas about guilt or innocence or whatever. But if you're telling me in this specific case that you have you have hand selected for people who have no opinion about whether or not George Floyd was murdered, then you're already telling me that you've hand selected for people who are inclined to believe the police because you have to be inclined to believe the police or inclined to simply not pay attention to the world around you in order to have not formed an opinion one way or the other by the time this trial went on, right? And I'm just confused about how we continue to go along with this pattern of thinking in the world that we live in right? Where you have access to so much information that this level of ignorance is seen as a good thing, <laughs> right? It shouldn't, it shouldn't be. It, I mean, because honestly, what you're saying is be as stupid and be as ignorant as possible. And that's who we're going to be basing these life and death decisions on. That's who you want to be deciding whether or not somebody gets life in prison or gets sent to the death, to, to, to death. Is somebody that doesn't pick up a fucking newspaper? Or people who have a false equivalency. So like they were particularly, look, you know, I did a post on the questionnaire, on the jury questionnaire um, that these people had to fill out before they were in panel. And, you know, one of the questions was rate how you feel about Black Lives Matter right under. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. 
pick how you feel about right. blue lives matter. Right. Blue so it's like matter. the people who had the right false equivalency between black lives matter and blue mm -hmm. lives matter were the ones who got put on that jury, which already tells me all I need to know about you. Right. Right. right, right. <laughs> like if, if you if right. you're able mm -hmm. to say like I I there there's one juror who literally said, you know, I don't have a positive opinion of black lives matter, but you know, I don't have a positive opinion about blue lives matter either. It's like what well you're an idiot. Like those two aren't the same. Right. And that you think that they are already, you know, already makes you a problem to me. Those so to get back to your question, Torrey, those are the people who get to decide. And when you when you're telling me that those are the people who are gonna decide whether or not the country has a riot or just whether or not <laughs> or just whether or yeah, not that's a great. person who was caught on tape murdering somebody will face this a smidgen of accountability for that murder that's where i feel our system has already broken Hey there, this is Christina Gonzalez, and I'm so excited for you to check out my new podcast, Politics of Food. On this show, we explore the political, economic, and social implications of food creation and consumption, both locally and worldwide. Should we eat first or should we protest first? Like, okay, <laughs> let's organize, let's talk to the press, let's get our word out, and then let's sit down and eat. Follow Politics of Food with Christina Gonzalez at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. Chauvin is, to my knowledge, not going to testify. Um, I know in the court of public opinion, for most people, they're like, well, that means you're guilty. Um, how does that play out in, in a trial like this? You know, in the, you, you've been good at sort of saying, like, here's the court of public opinion, but here's what's going on in the courtroom. Like, is that, is that a damning thing to not testify on your own behalf? Um. <laughs> I think that you. I think that for some jurors, they will want to hear Chauvin. You know, Chauvin defend himself in his own words. I think that's it's always um, it's always kind of a minus one point if you don't push your defendant on the stand. However, if you do put your defendant on the stand, it's minus ten points. It's minus twenty points because who knows what the motherfucker's going to say? And, and just you, it, you, you were talking about you know about the prior bad acts. Who one missed sentence? opens up the door to all of Chauvin's prior bad acts if he takes the stand. And the, the, the danger of that, if you're the defense, far, far, far outweighs the minor dot of not putting him on the stand at all. So yeah, so I do think that it hurts the defense to not put Chauvin up there, but it hurts it a little bit versus it blows up their case potentially if they put him on and he says something wrong. I mean, their case was blown up when they put the fucking video on. You know, to open you think? Up, right. Like for all of for all of those people who don't who don't clearly have smartphones, don't look at a paper, don't watch the news. And that was their first orientation into this trial. And your first time seeing that to me, the defense could have re the, the prosecution could have rested after they I mean, played imagine that video. the closing arguments um, are just going to be that video. Right. You're going to do your clothes and then you're just going to make the what, jury sit I, there for nine minutes. Right. I wouldn't need to speak all or play that video with a composite of the eyewitness accounts, these young women who were scarred for the rest of their lives, the older black gentleman that broke down on the fucking stand and then end with the police chief who says, yeah, we this is not this is not who our police department is about. Last question for you, though, Ellie, is um, we have a couple of more weeks of this okay. trial. What are we, what, which I can't stomach and I don't want to watch and I don't want to read about. 
because the trauma yeah. is very real into a ray. And I talk about that every single week. The trauma yeah. is very real. Um, what, what are we looking at in terms of testimony witnesses that are coming up? Where do we think that this is going? And then well, eventually we're going to get to the defense as part of the case. I mean, that's the real, you, you want to talk about trauma, but the scary thing for me is that this has been two weeks. This is two of the worst weeks of watching TV that I can remember. And it hasn't gotten bad yet because this has been all the prosecution's case. So week three, it's going to be the defense's turn to put on a case. And that's going to be disgusting. That's going to be like the, the defense's case is going to be straight up disgusting. They're going to have other cops. You know, we saw some cops for against Chauvin. We're going to see a lot of cops for Chauvin. Um, we're going to see a lot more testimony about Floyd's drug use. We're going to see uh, defense medical experts arguing that if Floyd had been healthy or if he hadn't eaten so much, you know, if he hadn't had so much pasta the night before or, you know, whatever, that he would have been fit and healthy and survived the, um, his encounter with Chauvin. Um, we're going to see all that. Um, and it's going to be a week of that. And it's going to be gross. I don't know that, if that's what's that's what's coming I, up. I, I don't know if the jury notices this or not. Maybe they do. Um, members of the Floyd family are showing up every day. They they no one is personally showing up for Derek Chauvin. They had a chair for his supporters. They finally took the chair away because no one was showing up. His family has abandoned him. They are they are not yep. rolling with him. And I I wonder if that communicates anything to anybody of note in this trial. I don't know. I, honestly, Tori, I mean, I hate to say this, but like, do we really think the jury's still paying attention? It's it's a long it's, it's a it's a long trial. And I think we've seen this in other long trials. Their attention wanes. They kind of come in and out. They they've prejudged, they've made their opinions already. The one jury I was on, the one time I was able to like sneak my way basically and get impaled on a jury despite my law degree. Uh, there are people who couldn't keep their attention, couldn't keep their attention focused on the trial for more than 20 minutes at a time, you know, who just could just couldn't do it, couldn't like lock in for 20 minutes. And this is now, this is going to be four weeks by the time it's over. I don't, again, my theory is that this case was baked in when they sat the jury. Now, I don't know what that answer is. I have to wait to the end like everybody else to find the answer. But I just, I, I, beyond a certain point, I do not know that any of this actually matters in terms of changing the minds of jurors. <laughs> this, this is not, this I, is I, not I, I just, I, I don't have great. a lot of evidence <laughs> that, okay, who's the juror that on, you know, two days ago was like, I think Chauvin probably is, is innocent. And then heard the cop and just like, oh, actually, no, I changed my mind. I think he's still, like people don't change their minds about, things like this very easily and very yeah, often. Right. So I, I I just don't even know that I, I I feel like if anything, the jurors are sitting there listening for bits that confirm their own preconceived notion. And then they'll get into a room and they'll fight about it. And it'll come down to kind of like, you know, if, if, if you've got two people who want to hang the jury, but they're not kind of personally very strong people, Maybe they can be, you know, bullied and just ah, all right, screw it. He's guilty. I want to go home. Well, yeah, that notion. A, a lot of black people are Twitter are saying like, oh, you know, the jury's going to be hung. I've read a little social science on this. It's it just 
just interpersonally, it's very hard to hang a jury because it takes a while and you have 10, 11 other people who are like, we want to go home. What the fuck? Like, come up off your position and you have to be really, really strong. And you'll go to the judge and say, no, go back and decide. And like, you have to be really strong and be like, no, I refuse to turn my key with your guilt, whatever. So, I mean, it's, that's really hard. They are, they almost always come out with a decision one way or another. Yep. I mean. And this, and this is, this is what we all feel. Do you remember them? I just need to say this because people should watch this movie because it's one of my favorites. Uh, the movie Runaway Jury with Gene yeah. Hackman. Fucking great about jury selection and all of the tricks and things that they do. Now, that is Hollywood. But essentially what Elliot laid out is like, yeah, these people were already baked in. We need the dumbest one. We need the one that looks like they have the kind eyes. We need the black person that is not too black. Like that is essentially what they do. And then we base our justice system on this. It's no wonder we're consistently. We, we could do this. And again, we could do this in an entirely different ways. way. We, we could do jury selection <laughs> in an entirely different way. We could we could do, we can demand. So, for instance, the jury pool has to be a fair cross section of the community. Right. So it means you can't have if you have a 50 percent black, 50 percent white community, your jury pool kind of needs to be 50 50. Right. But when it comes to being in panel on the actual jury, it doesn't have to be 50-50. It doesn't have to be diverse at all. And so like, there are lots of little bits here and there um, about how we choose juries, a process that we have done as a civilization going back to fucking Athens. Right? Jury selection is old. <gasps> um, and there's so many things that we could update to make more fair, and we choose not to. And it comes to bite us in the ass in situations like this, where regardless of the verdict, there will be 30% of the country who doesn't believe it, right? Doesn't trust it, thinks they got it wrong. Like, there is no common ground here. Um, We we have to wait and see, we just have to wait and see what these 12 randos fucking say. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. (laughs) <laughs> Ellie, thank you for it's being awesome. here with thank us. You. We appreciate you being our 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 brother in this. Um, you know, really, really a lot of insight. Thank you so much. Really helped me contextualize this in a new way. So I really appreciate that. Um, thank you for listening to the show. I'm Torre, and I'm and Danielle we'll Moody. Back Keep next hanging week. on, folks. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a country worth saving. <laughs>